And hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode, episode eight of the HUSEC cast, the HUSEC Con podcast. Sam and I were joined by WWT and Palo Alto Networks as sponsors of the podcast live from the stage at HUSEC Con earlier here in October. And we had them talk about AI with us. Very popular topic these days, but it was a fun format. Hope you enjoy it. We're going to have one more of these that we're going to launch as well with a different sponsor that we did from HUSECCon. But this is the first one again with WWT and Palo Alto Networks talking about AI. Hope you enjoy. down here this is very fancy awesome well welcome to a live recording of the HUSEC cast the Houston HUSEC con podcast uh if you don't know yet I'm Michael Farnham that's Sam Van Ryder I'm Sam that's Sam and we if you don't know we run a uh HUSEC con podcast and this is a live recording of it and we got a couple of sponsors that came in today to help us out we got WWT and Palo Alto if you can see that sign so Thank you all very much for uh, sponsoring. I'm going to let you um, let you introduce yourselves, kind of give your background real quick, and then we'll get into the discussion. You bet. Hi, everybody. I'm Kent Noyes. I'm the Senior Director of AI Security Worldwide Technology. If you don't know worldwide, it's an $18 billion technology solution provider based in St. Louis. I've been there for 21 years. Uh, we partner with a lot of great partners like Palo Alto Networks. Also got a good, strong AI practice there. I think we hired our first data scientist 15 years ago, approximately, and we're seven years running NVIDIA's Solution Provider of the Year. We also built the first supercomputer architecture upon which the first LLMs, BERT, BERT Large, were built upon. So that's kind of our claim to fame there. So Awesome. And I mean, give them your name and your, uh, your title, because your title means a lot to this discussion. Yeah. Kent Noyes, Senior Director of AI Security. There you go. So we're going to be talking about AI, if you haven't gleaned that yet. Brad. Hi, folks. My name is Brad Green. I'm a consulting engineer with the Cortex division of Palo Alto Networks. We specialize in security operations. You might have heard of Palo Alto Networks. We also do firewall stuff, too, I think. Yeah, y'all got firewalls. Uh, so yeah. uh, security operations and uh, security threat intelligence is my, my focus. Closer. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, yes, we're going to be talking about AI, um, but I think what I w we were talking about earlier about having the conversation and kind of trying to make it a little bit different is not necessarily a history lesson, but giving the difference in what AI, everybody kind of considered AI that was really tied to machine learning. Every, when you saw the marketing, you saw ML slash AI. And that's good for detection in platforms, that kind of thing. But now we've, with ChatGPT that's come out, we've reached this whole nother level of AI and all the LLMs that are out there. So Kent, as kind of a guy who just plays in this world every day, can you kind of give a quick differentiator, and Brad, break in there as well, what you would consider as a differentiator with modern LLMs versus what everybody saw as machine learning AI with platforms? Yeah, I think uh, with uh, traditional AI, I would call it, you know, it's much more about pattern matching, um, making predictions, predictive AI, 
anomaly detection. It's kind of been in that space, been around forever. We've been doing it a long time here now. Most of the purists will kind of, you know, roll their eyes a little bit when it comes to LLMs. Um, when it comes to large language models, generative AI, much more of a creative element, uh, different kind of beast. Um, these things are much more built for natural language processing. I think one of the core things about it to me is we just gave these AIs a vocabulary, a really big vocabulary, right? And so, you know, they can do things, they can speed read, they can summarize documents, 10-page documents in seconds. Uh, they have, they can interact like a human. Um, you know, they, they have all sorts of capabilities. They're just slightly different. They're much more of a creative engine, and they will create things in a sort of a hallucination type of manner. You've heard that time and time again. But a totally different base, but really revolutionizing AI, I think, and it's a fantastic step in the right direction. I'm pretty pumped about it overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the LLMs are, are really interesting to me. Natural language processing has been around for a while. That helped, right? It lowered the entry barrier into learning query languages. How do I interrogate my data? With LLMs, we're getting to the point now we're going to have very natural language processing that occurs, but also contextualization that occurs, follow-up questions, uh, being able to translate the answer across multiple languages if we've got a, a global team or, or we need to do something like that. From a detections perspective, statistical analysis and, and ML models, their inputs into an investigation in the SOC, right? How do we get the investigation started? That's fine. But when we get into LLM, now it's, can we be faster? How, how can we investigate faster? How can we get a better answer, better fidelity answer, and communicate it quicker to the team? So I guess my question here, especially when we talk about AI and some of the productization and such um, in detections and things. Where do where does it go wrong? Well, it goes wrong when you give it bad data, ultimately. Any AI, bad data is bad AI. That's the title of the, of the thing here. So, you know, we're facing, especially with elements, we're facing all new types of uh, risks that we weren't be seeing before. You know, prompt injection, not something we're used to securing, right? Um, data poisoning, uh, monitoring the output that comes out of an LLM system, all those types of things uh, can cause issues. You know, if you look at like the OWASP LLM top 10, that's a really good resource for just checking the boxes on the basics of how to secure these things. And anything on that can cause it to go, uh, you know, terribly wrong. Uh Maybe a slightly different angle on that, but where AI can go wrong is it can be applied to different things, right? We can apply it to defense, but it's equally applied to attack. So it raises the, the challenge level. It, it lowers the barrier of entry for an attacker, someone who's got chat GPT and can break out of, of its gates in terms of helping generate adversarial code uh, is now operating at a significantly higher level than they would be prior to that. So it could increase the attack vectors a little bit, um, and then obviously we're, yeah, as you're detecting, it's a matter of well, how do you tune anyways. Yeah. I think it could also go wrong, and I'm trying, it's hard to hear actually on that far side. I don't know if you feel the same thing. But if you, you know, generative AI is not as conducive to automation. It's going to be that way. As The more it's fine-tuned, the better it, it will be for that. But if you depend on it too much for automation now without a human in the loop, you can have some issues. Just want to throw that one in there as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the fact that we've got a top 10 that you mentioned for LLMs, the prompt injecting attacks, those kind of things. Like, I, if, I don't know if anybody here got to see Justin Hutchins talk Hutch. 
I mean, he's put out some stuff on AI here recently where it's, especially with like ChatGPT and the ability to interpret images and describe those, you can use text in that image and have it run the command that's in the image and not what you told it to do. So those type of injection texts have all kinds of concerns for anybody who's trying to use that. And if you're gonna, and kind of as a transition to the discussion around using it for cybersecurity, if you're gonna use LLMs in cybersecurity, you, you, to your point, the garbage in, garbage out, which be in this title, is you've gotta know what's going into that thing and know that it's clean, know that it's not somebody putting some kind of prompt injection in there, getting it to do something different than what you told you, what it, what you told it to do. So from your perspective, if you're gonna use this for a cybersecurity focused thing, I mean, you can use L obviously LLMs to do all kinds of stuff, but if you're gonna use it specifically for cybersecurity applications, I mean, what what's the likelihood of you being able to do that successfully kind of on your own versus going to somebody who's working through this already? So I think I think both are going to happen. You're going to have vendors that offer. You're going to be creating your own. There's too many use cases. They outnumber the vendors, in all honesty. But I would recommend going with a vendor first. I mean, if you if you can solve your use case with a vendor, it's going to be cleaner and easier. I think supply chain is a big issue when you have to create your own. Those systems are built architecturally on a, on a lot of different components that have vulnerabilities in them. They come from a lot of different places. Open source LLMs, for example, you're going to there's thousands of them. They're multiplying. You're going to want to secure those. Uh, the data itself, again, you got to monitor. You want a solution that can monitor that data when it comes in, so you have to account for that. If you're crowdsourcing the data, there's another whole issue right there. If you've got that coming into your to your system, and then there's plugins. You know, as you create plugins, you use them with ChatGPT. You can create those in your own LLM environments, and those are applications that require application security, API security, just like anything else you might you might use overall. And, and, and yes, there's a caveat here. We've got a vendor yeah. and we've got, and in my day job, I sell them too, right? So we, we understand the, uh, really, you know, you're saying the vendor should do it. But I mean, seriously, you got people that are extremely focused at a vendor to build these types of models. If you're going to, as a, your own organization, that's, that's not your business, then you've got to invest. And it's been the same thing with AIML. You've got to invest in data scientists. You've got to invest in a lot of stuff, and you've got to build that on your own. Is it worth it when you've got a vendor whose job is to do that? Yeah, I mean, if the if the use case is specialized, then maybe it's worth it, right? It it, it really it really depends on what you're after. Uh, the the challenge with some of it, and I, I did a couple of AI classes a couple of years ago. I haven't finished anything, but I'm trying to learn it. Uh, and one of the statistics was that a data scientist, an average data scientist, will spend upwards of 85% of their day scrubbing data. So if you're going to have a bunch of expensive data scientists and you're going to roll your own security data lake and you're okay with having these expensive people just writing Python scripts to scrub data all day long, cool. But if you have a use case that's aligned to you know, a, a common security use case and we've got data onboarding processes that already normalize and map that data for you, we already have models for a lot of these, normal, these use cases and you know, a lot of these tools are opening up a little bit. I can't talk too much about that. We have a release right around the corner. Just keep an eye on this space. But 
you know, there's an opportunity for bring your own model into a place where the data is already structured and labeled in a way that it's going to be usable. Because if you don't, you've got unusable data, if you've got data that hasn't been normalized properly, you're you're not going to get. You can do all the right math, and you're going to get the wrong answers, right? Yeah. So um, I'll take it just a little bit of a different direction, but my question comes to um, where is? I mean, we this it's it seems like this skyrocket, like or it just went on a rocket all of a sudden over the past twelve months, right? So as we're getting to the reality of it happening, where's the low hanging fruit that has the highest impact for folks? Uh, as far as the technology goes? Well, generally speaking, you know, one of those attributes of LLMs particularly is translation. And I'm not talking about just translating language. I'm talking about translating your request into code. So probably the number one use case we see overall um, is, I mean, there's a whole variety of other use cases, hundreds of them, especially using, you know, I've got a whole slide. It's probably got 50 use cases for using AI and security. But writing code and making sure that code is secure is probably the one I see the most right now as they start to dip, because it's fairly accurate at doing that. And there, there are many other use cases. ChatGPT is way better at regex than I am. And I am better at regex because I can use ChatGPT. Right? I, I, we can feed it a data structure and ask for the regex to go get it the key that we want. Uh, the other place I think it's going to be used really effectively is for contextualized help. So, you know, narrow, narrow search engines. How do I do this within this product? Uh, if, the, if the training data can be kept up to date to the current product documentation, you can be in product, trying to do something, ask a very natural language question within the product, get a natural language answer with documentation reference. I, anything that keeps us from swiveling in the chair in the sock is, is a good thing. If I have to be in one less place looking for information or extracting data, that, that makes the workflow faster. So I think that's going to be a low-hanging fruit as well. That, yeah, so I, I remember listening to a podcast. I don't remember what it was on or who the vendor was, but it was a SOAR vendor. And they asked ChatGPT to go create some workflows for their product specifically. And what they found out was that if you do a very simple workflow, it was perfect every time. If you asked it for a more complicated scenario workflow, it would just fail. And what they figured out was because they, where it was really easy, where it was good at, the, lower, the easier ones, was because they had public documentation that it had already scoured. But what it was relying on was almost like leaked uh, documentation for like an older documentation for their sword that people had published that was typically behind a support wall of some kind. And what they started doing, they said, well, if it's this good, it, it, it sucks at the complicated stuff, but it's still not completely horrible. It gets some stuff right. Let's just start using that as a, a an engine, use it to learn. And so their documentation, they just started running it, that documentation, and boom, it was like, yeah, within literally within like a couple of weeks, I don't even know if it was that long, it was it was spitting out perfect. Yeah, and workbooks. the other the other aspect of that is is especially with workflow creation, like automation creation in the SOC, uh, they're typically just series of structured tasks, series of structured workflows. So if it's good at creating simple workflows and I can create ten simple workflows and glue them together myself, I can still have that complex thing done, you know, in far less time than it would be to to go and build it all from scratch and try to build it, you know, completely right the first time. 
embrace the modularity a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's going to give you some percentage increase in productivity, even when it's not 100% accurate. It's never going to be, you know, 100% accurate, but you fine tune it, you keep tweaking it until it gets there. But, you know, in a SOC, there's so many ways it could, it could boost. Again, I talked about coding, there's scripting when you're doing threat hunting, there's research, there's reporting, there's policy management. All those things can give you a boost, at least the first draft idea of where you need to go. What's going to happen if you make certain policy changes when you ask that question? It's going to give you ideas that you don't have, just like it does in your day-to-day -day life as you use these systems. Yeah, I mean, just being able to ask it, like, absorb all of my network architecture diagrams. And there's tools, and we're going to do a um, podcast tomorrow where we're talking to a vendor that does some of this. But if you see a network configuration change, if I change this IP address here, what is going to be the flow What's going to happen if I can ask somebody? Because I used to joke and people would say, well, when is AI going to be good? I'm like, well, it's not going to be good until we get C-3PO. Like at the, we're as close to that as we ever have been, right? That, that's something that can learn and use that and think about it. I mean, we're not, I'm not saying we're at C-3PO. Don't get me wrong. We're not. Yeah, I'm thinking it though. We're there. Maybe R2. We're, we're getting close. I mean, it, it yeah. feels the, the marketing teams were 10 to 12 years ahead of us, right? <laughs> yeah. So the technology is starting to catch up to the marketing from last decade. And it's kind of what they promised last decade. It's making things faster. It's, it's making processing huge amounts of data more, more palatable for a lot of organizations. It's, it's trying to tease out the, the needles in the haystacks and in, in, in the security world, it's not one needle in one haystack. We're looking for this one red needle that's in one of these dozen haystacks. And, and we want to make sure we find that one without shutting down this other red needle in these other haystacks, which is going to break this critical part of the business. So, I mean, we're starting to find some of that. It's not, there's no silver beans. There's no magic bullets yet. Maybe in 10 years. We'll see. I don't know. What, what's marketing saying about it Right now? when I retire, <laughs> it'll all come together. Well, and, and to the, it's kind of going off that, this is a challenge. Everyone's screaming AI now. Every vendor here is screaming AI, right? Um, so how do you vet out what's really, what's really there, right? Because I've heard a lot of stories, and I, when you dig into it, mm, may not be as AI as you think it is, right? But how do you weed through that? Yeah, I've, I've, I've literally seen a vendor advertise AI-assisted, and the only thing they were using ML models for was uh, classifying snort rules to see which ones were ransomware. That was the extent of the ML use, and they were in the copy was AI-powered. Um, so ask them what it's written in. If it's written in Python or R, it's probably machine learning, and if it's AI, it's probably written in PowerPoint or Google Slides. So... Ask them how the technology works. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to be learning a lot more data science over time than we ever wanted to or ever will want to. Um, we're going to be crossing a line one of these days where we start to depend on them to act on your behalf much more. And then we're going to really advance it when it starts to do that in a layered fashion, when it's checking itself to do the next thing. Now, I don't know if LLMs are going to be the path for that, honestly, just the way that they're made and designed. There are some other databases and all these companies you hear about general AI, artificial general intelligence. They might be using different databases for that, knowledge graphs, things like that. It'll be a little bit of a shift. 
And we're going to have to learn, you know, as security practitioners, we got to turn this thing, we got to turn around. It's a black box right now, and it can't be a black box. You can't secure what you can't see or understand. So we're going to be learning about it. We're going to be using solutions that can give you visibility and explainability into those systems. And that's going to be the only way to really, truly secure it and understand it. Yeah, explainability is, that's huge. And it's hard. Like, models cannot explain themselves a lot of times. So there's been a lot of work, you know, in my company about exposing some of the reasoning behind some of the AI scoring, the ML scoring. Uh, and that's, that's effective. It's good. It, it helps you at least get some context to why the alerts bubbled up. Again, it's it might have to be tuned. It might have to be you know we need to contextualize the environment too. I need to know what the bone scanners are. You know, transparency like, is important. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, go um, listen or watch the Robert Hansen the Arsenic show where he interviewed Chat GPT and talks about the lack of transparency and the guardrails that are put on it. But knowing what you do needs to be there. So guys, we got to end it. Thank you very much for sponsoring this episode. Really appreciate it. This fun. You got to sit in very comfy chairs. These are really very nice. I don't chairs, want to yes. get up. This is really nice. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be doing another one of these tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a HughesetCon production. HughesetCast is hosted by Michael Farnham and Sam Van Ryder, with production and editing by Lauren Lynch. Our music is by August Honey. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of any entities that they represent. This show is for informational purposes only and does not render or offer to render personalized advice. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at HughesetCon. And you can learn more about the conference or buy tickets at HoustonSetCon.com.